We're going to continue our study tonight in the book of Deuteronomy. And uh, we're still in chapter 3. Still working on the first four verses that we started three weeks ago. We're going to read them again. Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 25 through 28. Moses asked the Lord in verse 25, if you remember, he said, I pray thee, uh, let me go over and see the good land that is beyond Jordan, that goodly mountain and Lebanon. But the Lord was wroth with me for your sakes and would not hear me. And the Lord said unto me, let, let it suffice thee, speak no more unto me of this matter. Get thee up into top, in the top of Pisgah, uh, basically the Lord is shifting Moses' focus, saying, now you not, might as well quit praying about that, I've got another assignment for you now. And uh, Moses is fixing to pass the baton, if you will, to the new leader for the nation of Israel. And that is what God is instructing Moses to start focusing on. And uh, last week we talked about how that we need to recognize and reach our limits. Sometimes if we focus on that which we are not meant to focus on, we will run out of time and resources to do what we can do. Did you catch that? Had Moses kept beating this old dead horse with God in prayer and focusing on how can I pull off getting over there in the promised land when it wasn't meant for him to go, he would have wasted a lot of time and energy and would have possibly missed the opportunity to do what he needed to do for Joshua. So you got to figure out where your limits are and focus on what you can do and let go of the rest, right? Uh, make your moments count for something. Don't waste time. That's what God's getting Moses to do is refocus on what matters in that moment in his life. That's why he said, speak no more unto me of this matter. In other words, i got another matter that is more pressing. Focus, Moses. We've got something bigger than you going into the promised land. And so he's focusing his shift, or shifting his focus, rather. Get thee up into the top of Mount Pisgah, and lift up thine eyes westward, northward, southward, and eastward, and behold it with thine eyes. For thou shalt not go over this Jordan, but, but charge Joshua. And he gives them three things to do here. Charge Joshua, encourage Joshua, strengthen Joshua. For he shall go over before this people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land which thou shalt see. And so uh, in our series of releasing the Joshua generation, part one of uh, onward Christian soldiers, we talked about how that we need to revise our vision. We've talked about how that we need to recognize and reach our limits. But tonight I want to talk about releasing your influence. Releasing your influence. If you've been faithful to the Lord, there is power in the momentum that you have built up over the years. Um. People take you more seriously. People respect you more. 
people are more quick to listen to you when they know that you are tried and true. When they know that you have paid the price of patience and endurance and faithfulness. And that's why I say that faithfulness produces a momentum, a force of momentum in your life that you can't get any other way. Talent alone is not good enough, right? And that's one of the benefits of aging is you have the spiritual momentum of years of testimony of what God has done, is doing, and is yet able to do. And so it's like God did all these great things in the life of Moses And Moses saw the faithfulness of God, and Moses was, for the most part, faithful to God for this moment. That he could use his experience, his influence, and the momentum that he had built up for a move of God to transfer, to impart, if you will, that momentum to the next leader of the nation of Israel. So that when Joshua stood out and stood up to take the lead, he wouldn't be going it alone. And he would, it wouldn't be like he had to start from scratch. He had somebody that paved the way for him, somebody that made it possible for him to take the children of Israel to the next level. Amen? And so it is at this point in Moses' life that I believe he began possibly his most strategic and meaningful moment of ministry. We look at when he uh, went and told Pharaoh, God said, let my people go. And we look at when he uh, crossed over the Red Sea on dry ground. And we, we look at all that as the great acts of Moses when really that was the great acts of God used through a humble and uh, otherwise feeble man named Moses. Amen. Uh, but all of that led up to a pivotal point in the nation of Israel. God's intention was not just to bring them out of Egypt, but to bring them into the promised land. The Bible says he brought them out so that he might bring them in. And Moses did the bringing out, but now Joshua's got to bring him in. But Joshua could not have been brought to the point of bringing them in had Moses not first brought them out. So it's a team effort. And so Moses did his part. And now for the job to be finished, Moses has got to impart and let go. Impart and let go. And there's three things God tells Moses to do for Joshua. Number one, he tells him to charge Joshua. In the Hebrew, that word literally means to command, to appoint, or to ordain as of a divine act. That is to recognize the divine call of God on Joshua and to call it out for him. To let Joshua know, hey Joshua, I see something in you and I see something on you that you might not even see in yourself. But God's been grooming you and God has been preparing you and God has a purpose for you. And it's now your time to step up and take the lead for your generation. And did you know that there are some Joshua's in our midst that may never step up and take the charge unless we call the leader out for them? 
unless we identify and call it out for them because they may not have the courage they need. They may not have the confidence they need. They may not have the spiritual depths of understanding that they need. But they need, they need a Moses in their life that will recognize it, that will see it, that will call it out, and that will command it forth in their life. When was the last time you saw potential in a child and you told that child that the potential that you saw in them? Why, it might make all the difference in the world for them. My wife could testify of Coach Goss tonight who, told, who pulled her to the side when she was in high school and encouraged her to go on to college. And if it weren't for Coach Goss calling out the potential in her and encouraging her to go on, she may or may not have ever pursued that route of education. And many of you today are where you are today, not necessarily because you were self-motivated, but somebody else saw the potential in you and they were willing to take the risk of speaking that encouragement into your life, praying that you do something with it. And sometimes all young people need is for a Moses to speak up for them and say, hey, you can live better than this. Hey, you can do better than this. You are you are more significant than this. Live above this. Amen. And sometimes that's all it takes is for someone to to realize that somebody sees value in them. Somebody sees potential in them. Amen. And I'm talking about giving them a charge. And that word charge is a strong word. It is a command. It doesn't give them the option that speaks of urgency. You need to speak to it in such a way that they feel almost compelled to respond immediately to your charge. Amen. Don't just be weak and anemic with it. Don't don't give them a watered down version. Well, you might think about doing this or you might think about doing that. Speak clearly. Speak decisively. Speak with command and speak a charge into that young person's life. Amen. Webster defines the word charge as to lay on as a duty or to entrust to as an officer. So we got to get to the point to entrust means to trust with. And it's hard for us to let go of the reins of that which we have convinced ourselves we are the only ones good at. And it's hard for a seasoned veteran who's been doing it well for years to hand it over to somebody who's going to take it over who's never had the experience of that. It's hard uh, because you see them fumbling and you see them messing up and you want to hurry up and go fix it or just take it back over just let me do it so I can do it right. But it takes patience. But here's the thing we've got to realize. If you don't let them have a chance at it, they may never rise up to reach the fullest potential. So there is, there's a little risk involved, but you remember when you started out, don't you? Somebody took a risk on you. Amen. And we need to be willing to take some risk. And, and, and it's kind of like, uh, 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 basically raising our children with spiritual training wheels. Amen. Uh, let go, mama. Let them ride. Take them training wheels off and let's see how they do solo. Amen. Give them some chances to serve God. Don't do everything for them. Give them something that they can do that will help them grow and mature into responsible young adults, right? And so you've got to be willing to give them a charge, uh, to lay a duty on them, to entrust them to a position that they can uh, grow and develop in and from which they can be promoted, right? And so that's what's involved in charging 
Joshua. Uh, a New Testament example is when Paul charged Timothy in chapter Second Timothy chapter four and verse one. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, no pressure, Timothy. Amen. <laughs> Who shall judge the quick and the dead? Right uh, at His appearing in His kingdom, preach the word. Be instant. See, he wasn't requesting. He was commanding. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Let me tell you something about my kids. I can't speak for anybody else. But my kids, as long as they're under my roof, have no option but to serve God with me. Did you catch that? They are being charged. Now, I'm thankful that as far as I know, they are willing. <laughs> Amen. If they're not, they do a pretty good job of convincing me otherwise. Maybe it's because they know better, right? But here's my point. As they are expected to serve and they rise to the challenge, they discover that they are able to serve. And they develop confidence in their service. Right? If I had not placed that demand upon them, they may not have ever assumed or been able to just get up and sing at a moment's notice, for example. Now, sometimes you have to give them an assignment, and it's not a request or a suggestion. It is a command. Because you need to give them that experience. Everybody needs to be put on the spot every once in a while. Amen. Everybody needs to be thrown out there. Let's see if they can swim. You've got a lifeline close by, right? You, you, you can throw it out if they start drowning. But let's give them something to do. Because you know as well as I do, the world's sure going to give them plenty to do. Amen. You might as well, uh, you might as well give them something wholesome to do, something healthy to do, something spiritual to do. Because as they do it, you never know but what they might fall in love with it. And you might be raising the next Billy Graham. Amen. You might be raising the next Elizabeth Elliot. Or any uh, spiritual hero that you have in your mind. Somebody that God used greatly. But it all starts with a charge. Amen. He told them, preach the word. Be instant. In season. Out of season. you got, you, you got to teach them that whether it's hard or not, you've still got to do it. Amen. Uh, hardship uh, goes with the territory, honey. Amen. Uh, we got to raise our kids tough. And to raise them tough, we got to be tough. We can't whine and complain at the first sight of trouble. Amen. If they see you serving God when it feels good and they see you serving God when it hurts like crazy, guess what? That'll give them some fortitude. That'll teach them that you don't have to feel good and it don't have to be perfect conditions to serve God. Right. And so you teach them that you're to be faithful and consistent, whether you're in season or out of season, you serve God and you do so with a willing heart. Amen. This is a command. It is. This is not a suggestion. So this is what uh, Moses had to do for Joshua. Now, imagine if Moses came to Joshua and said, hey, Joshua, I was wondering if you'd be willing to lead this great nation. <laughs> If he was like the average Baptist and was given the option, he would have immediately said, absolutely not. But God told him, 
And that's the reason Moses had to do it that way. God told him, charge him, command him. Could you imagine? When he, when he put it that way, he didn't really give him a choice, did he? Hey, Joshua, this has to be done. And you're the most prepared and qualified. In fact, God has ordained you for this. So you don't have a choice in the matter. So you might as well surrender and go to figuring it out. Amen. And let me tell the young people tonight, you really don't have any other choice in life but to serve God. I know you think you have options. But anything that leads you away from God and His service is not really an option for a Christian. You may go down the path of, uh, of uh, personal preference. But it will not lead you anywhere that you'll be happy with. It will not produce any kind of result that you're hoping it will produce. If you want God's best and brightest for your future, you really don't have any choice but to figure out what God wants you to do and get to doing it. And you're just wasting time if you keep putting it off and trying something different. So you might as well, and I'm just going to speak to you right now, I'm charging you before God and before Jesus Christ and the quick of the dead and all that, amen, like Paul told Timothy, I'm charging you to get busy serving God. What does God want you to do? Do it. It's not a request. It's a command. Amen. And that's what we got to do. We got to give them, because what that does is that lays the groundwork for the next part. What's the next part? He said, charge Joshua. And if you have your King James Bible, what is the next word? Encourage him. Encourage. The Hebrew word means to make bold. To make firm, to make rigid and hard. It speaks of a resolute spirit. He needs to be encouraged. Webster defined this as to give courage to or to give or increase confidence of success. To increase confidence of success. Just like we talked about earlier, a lot of people don't step up because they don't think they can. Especially young people. And that goes with the territory of being young. You're nervous about anything that you've never tried before. Amen? Uh, It's not easy. Nobody said it'd be easy. Right? But, I want to say this, you can do it. You can do it, and you can do it with flying colors. Amen. You can be the best at it if you'll give it to God and give it your all. Right? You're going to mess up. I argued with God one time when I, whenever He was calling me to preach a little bit, and I was like, "Well, Lord, what if I, what if I mess this up?" And the Lord responded immediately, said, "You will." <laughs> and I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> you will." And I have. Mm-hmm. I'm glad the fact that I'm going to mess it up didn't change God's mind about His call on my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did. Uh, I like what one preacher said. It's your failure. Uh, the, the failures are the tools that God will use to humble you and make you better. 
So don't sweat it. Don't fret it. Just do it. And when you mess up, confess it, learn from it, get back up and do it again. Amen. And then when you mess up again, confess it, learn from it, get up and go at it again. But don't ever quit. You can do it. Faithful is he who has called you who also will do it. You see, it's not just you doing it. It's God doing it with you. Amen. And young people today need to know that somebody believes in them. Somebody sees potential. And I hope that you encourage your children. Most parents do. I hope that I hope that we all in here do. Uh, your children, your grandchildren. But you seize the moments to inspire courage. Amen. To give them uh, hope that they will succeed. So that they'll develop the courage to at least try. Right? But but it takes an outs, outside voice to get them to that point. They're not going to always, most of the time, they're not going to come to that conclusion. Some strong-willed people don't need anybody to encourage them to go and conquer. But a lot of, that's that's the exception, not the rule. The the, the rule is most people need an outside voice but, uh, that's countering the voice in their head that tells them that if they try, they'll fail miserably, so they'd be better off doing something else. Amen? So... Don't just command him. Don't just charge him, but encourage him, right? And so you've got to be an encouragement to your kids to build up that courage that they need to do whatever it is that God is leading them to do or, or, or that, which, that potential that you see in them. If they have a gift that you notice that do something exceptionally well, help them develop that, right? And, and figure out a way to put it in the service of the Lord, right? So encourage them. Hebrews 10:24 says, "Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works." To provoke, <laughs> to poke, to prod, to encourage, right? To light a fire up under, get somebody moving. Amen. Provoke to good works. If you feel a little push to do something for God, I'm doing my job. Well, that preacher's a little pushy. I'm supposed to be. Amen. Probably not pushy enough, to be honest. And some of you might get frustrated with some of your deacons because they're always pushing you to do something. Well, they're just being obedient to the Scripture. Take it up with God. He's the one who told us to do that. Right? But to provoke one another, to love and to good works. And it's the same passage. Verse 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. They always want you to do something for the church, and they always want you to be at church. I can't, I can't skip a service for nothing without somebody getting on my case. Well, thank God they're doing what the Bible said do. We ought to provoke one another to participate in and attend the house of God. Amen? And so we encourage our young people, provoke them, uh, make them bold and firm and rigid at heart. This also tells me that uh, there's a firmness that they need to learn how to develop, to, uh, to, to be tough, right, right, to, to, to be tough enough to, to take some hits and keep going. You know, and, and, and that tells me that this encourage is not just a one-time thing, but it is a, it is a perpetual thing, that you are a constant voice of encouragement in their life.
so that when they do come across a challenge down the road after you've started them on this journey, after you've encouraged, you've done talked them into doing something they've never done before, and now they're nervous, and now they're afraid, and now they're coming into problems, now you've got to speak up again and encourage them through this challenge. You become a coach to them and could be a continual source of encouragement. I thank God for my youth pastor, John Hoops. He was the constant uh, voice of encouragement in my life. Uh, my my family uh, lived in Trap Hill, North Carolina. The church that I attended all through my teenage years was a 45-minute drive away from Trap Hill. And we went there every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and special services. You know one of the biggest attractions to me of going to that church was Mr. John Hoops. You know why? Because he always had a word of encouragement. He always had a smile on his face. And if I had, uh, uh, if I was going through something here, his wife would pray for, pray with me, pray for me. Uh, we go uh, sometimes on youth events, and we weren't the richest family in the church. In fact, we was probably one of the more poor families. Uh, never had the nicest clothes. Never had any cash in my pocket when we went out somewhere. They always fed us, but the point was I never had any spending money. John would sometimes sleep a little twenty dollar bill in my pocket when when no one was looking. He just he was just a, a a source of encouragement, and it kept me going, and it kept me wanting to come back. You want to know how to get your kids in church and keep them in church? Make this the most encouraging place that they ever go to throughout the week. Because I promise you, they don't get a whole lot of encouragement otherwise. Amen. The people that they will grow to love and remember and cherish for the rest of their life are the voices of encouragement in their life. People, that even though they recognize their challenges, their blunders, their tendencies to fail or what have you, choosing rather to encourage them than to just point out their problems all the time. You know, uh, there are times you have to pull them to the side and say, hey, uh, what you did wasn't right. But don't just stop there. Don't just chide them and rebuke them and, and send them on. Right? Learn how to close the conversation with lifting them up, encouraging them. Best way to do that is to identify with them. Identify with them. Before you think I'm being too hard on you, let me tell you what I did when I was your age. I mean, I messed up bad. So trust me, I relate. I know what you're going through, and I'm not coming down hard on you because I think you're the scum of the earth. I'm coming down hard on you because I see you can do better than even what I did when I was your age, and I can teach you some things. So I want to encourage you. Uh, you, A person is not a mistake. A mistake is an event, not a person. Just because you messed up don't mean you have to continue to, and you can get past this, and you can be better, and you can do better, and the sky's the limit to your future if you're willing to learn from this. And see how you can turn it from a negative to a positive just by being encouraging. Amen. And so uh, that's what God told uh, Moses to do to Joshua, to encourage him. And then the last thing he said was strengthen. Strengthen him. All right? Let's look at that for a minute. The word strengthen in the Hebrew means to make strong, obviously, or to alert, uh, to make brave, to make stout, to make solid. Uh, It had similar words 
uh, as the word encouragement did, but I'm, I'm trying not to repeat some of those. I'm trying to point out the distinctions rather than the similarities of these definitions. Uh, but the word strengthen means to make solid. Webster defines it as to make stronger, stronger, of course, but it also means to add strength to. I love that. To add strength. See, Joshua was already strong, but he needed the strength of Moses combined with his strength, right? Uh, it means to add strength either physically, legally, or morally. So let's think about this for a minute. Moses had uh, strength already. He had fought battles while Moses was up on the hill, remember, lifting his hands. Joshua was down leading the charge. I remember the story. And when they lifted the hands of the man of God, they won. When when he got weak and couldn't hold him up, they started losing. So they put a man on either side to hold up his hands. And while he was holding his hands up on the hill, there was Joshua down there winning the battle under the direction of God's man, Moses. So, so Joshua had some strength, but he didn't have the strength unless it, Moses was investing his strength into him. You see that? So it was combined effort. And he also needed to give him the legal strength that he needed to be the new leader of the nation of Israel. Essentially, Moses had to inform the nation of Israel, my time is up, this is now your leader. And we call it in America a transfer of power. Taking the power from one man and giving it to the next, right? This uh, word also means to confirm, to establish, as to strengthen authority. So by the time Moses got done strengthening Joshua, there was no doubt in the minds of the people that he was called to lead that Joshua was now the leader in charge. That they would no longer be calling Moses for advice or for input or for decisions uh, for national security or otherwise, because he has already transferred that power to the new guy, right? And there are times in our lives that we've got to transfer the power that we have possessed for so long into the next generation so that they can continue the work that God has started or that we've carried through our lifetime. And that's the that should be the goal and the dream of any church is to do church in such a way that it will outlive us. Amen. That's one of the heartbreaking realities of many churches today is they're drying up and they're dying off because there's no young people to take the charge. But let me ask you this. Was it that there were no young people to take the charge or was it that there were no old people to pass on the responsibility? Because sometimes we want to hold on to our power until we die rather than transferring it. Because we're too proud of our accomplishments and we don't think anybody can do it any better than we did it. And we like to be congratulated and celebrated and that we like the fact, the idea of them uh, making monuments about our accomplishments. And we get so stuck on what we did in our generation that we fail to realize that success is not complete until you have a successor to carry on. And if you come to the end of your life and all of your accomplishments mount up to the heavens, but you have no one as a successor to carry on, you have failed. 
as a church, as an individual, you have failed because that which you have invested will go, it will eventually die without a successor. And the church was meant to grow and to expand and to live on from generation to generation. Amen. So we've got to strengthen them. Acts 4.32 says, The multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Just like the New Testament church, if somebody had a need, they, their attitude was, what's mine is yours. And what's yours is mine. We're we're in this thing together. If you're in lack and I have extra, guess what? You can dip in to my resources. We can get through this thing together. And that's the way we got to look at the youth. They're needy. Right? It costs a lot of money to have a youth program. And it will require our time, our attention, our talents, our treasures. It'll It'll require all of that. But if we're willing to make the investment, God will bless the investment and the legacy will live on. Amen. And so we got to charge them. We got to encourage them. We got to strengthen them. So again, I said earlier, Moses' greatest ministry was perhaps in the passing of the mantle. This was clearly an impartation. So uh, that concludes part one of my three-part series on uh, honored Christian soldiers. This first part was releasing the Joshua generation. Amen. I will begin my next part, Lord willing, next Sunday night, uh, on looking for a place to cross. Amen. And uh, I can't wait to share it with you.